The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we discuss mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, John Cuna. Uh, today, we'll be discussing youth mental health, specifically um, the youth mental health epidemic, right, as it's been deemed, at least in the United States. Uh, recently, the Surgeon General, uh, Vivek Murthy, came out and deemed youth mental health uh, an epidemic within the United States. I believe this was like a week ago, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more, Yep. Um, and gave some information about you know why that is uh, we're going to get into the co- what we think are the causes um, what we think maybe are the solutions as well as some other kind of uh, you know r- related topics but John I want to kick it to you first to discuss a little bit about the fact that the Surgeon General has gone this far to mm-hmm. deem it an epidemic uh, something we've been paying attention to for a while and probably thought it was there for a while um, and just what you think about that as well as maybe some data that you found um, you know based on what he said yeah, I think, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this like off air and with other clinicians and other colleagues sort of in the area that, um, you know, we're, we sort of knew this data was going to be coming out and now we have it and it's really scary. Um, but we knew that there was going to be some pretty traumatic um, and huge spikes in anxiety, depression, especially because of the um, from the pandemic and mm-hmm. from other reasons, too, that we'll get into. But, um, yeah, I thought it was really um, good. Sad that it has to happen, but good that um, – he came out and was talking about this. He actually wrote a 53-page report. Um, and some of the stuff that came out that was that symptoms of anxiety and depression have since doubled since 2019. Oh. Um, suicide attempts in adolescent girls are up 51%. 51% since 20, since 2019. That's in only in two years. It's been it's going up over half. Um, and 4% higher for adolescent boys, um, which is scary. Um, I mean – we knew the numbers were going to be bad. I don't know if we knew they were going to be this bad. Um, and I don't necessarily see them going in a direction down uh, mm-hmm. anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a place that it's um, we're, it's great that we're naming it finally and feels like more people are understanding the need to. And uh, he talks about this in, in, in uh, one of his speeches and one of his talks about this of like, we feel like we're just replacing one pandemic for another uh, or one ep- you know epidemic for another with, you know, we've gone from um, COVID and now we're moving into mental health specifically mm-hmm. with adolescents. And so it's, um, we'll, we'll get into some of the stats, the scary stuff. We'll get into some of the things we think could be really helpful. Um, but those were jarring mm-hmm. to see, um, to say the least, especially for when you're looking at suicide attempts for adolescent females was yeah. really scary. Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime you see an increase in suicidality or suicide attempts, whether, I mean, it's unbelievable because you see 4% compared to 51 and, and you know, the natural reaction is like, oh, 4%, not that bad. I mean, four percent is a, is a bad. That's bad news. Then you get into fifty one percent for for adolescent females, and that's really scary. I mean, we've talked in the past about how suicide, um, you know, suicide attempts have been up across the board. I think we talked about that in at least one past episode. Mm-hmm. We did discuss how with young youth females, um, it's it, the numbers were already concerning. So it's good that they're actually calling official attention to this because it's a problem that needs to be solved. 
I mean, it's not just youth either. I think, um, you know, males in that probably 30 to 55 range, the numbers are bad too. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely more than a 4% increase. Um, and it's, you know, I I think if we try to figure out why uh, adolescent females are more affected, I would guess we've talked a little bit about this, um, social media being sort of not to blame social media on everything, but like, it's kind of the culprit here where, Mm -hmm. um, particularly among young girls, the way they talk to each other and the, the back channeling and the the different like toxic things that happen in terms of their communication through the medium of social media has definitely correlated in my opinion with this increase in suicidality and worsening mental health. And that's an issue that I don't know what the immediate solution is. I mean, I think that's where we're going to discuss what we think are the causes of this. We'll talk about uh, potential solutions. I think some solutions are things that you, we can try to do collectively or individually right away. Others are like, just hope for it to organically happen. There are just certain mm-hmm. things that you you can't just take a step collectively and hope for it to change right away. Things sort of have to gradually change on their own. We've talked about this a lot when it comes to mental health in general, right? With the, um, the stigma reducing. Yep. You know, we can scream until we're blue in the face, but that doesn't mean it's going to reduce. Sometimes you have to have natural organic shift in these yep. things and um, that doesn't happen quickly. And I think screaming in certain ways can help yeah, but it's only going to be, you know, part of a short term thing that that contributes to a larger uh, change over 10 years or 20 years. Yep. Uh, which we've seen particularly over the last five years, things have really changed much more quickly than the last 20 before it. Right. Yeah. Agreed. So in terms of like causes, what comes to mind for you? I'll kind of let you go first and then I'll, I'll try to like dovetail. But what do you think are the major causes when it comes to, you know, what is what is leading to us having a mental health epi- epidemic amongst youth in the United States? Um, I would say, you know, I'll get to the social media piece because I, I have a lot of thoughts on that too, but, um, I think that it's the, the undercurrent has always been there. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think youth especially has been a really vulnerable, um, period of time for a long time. And it's been sort of like waiting. Have you ever seen Ghostbusters 2 where it has like that pink goo underneath the Mm -hmm, sewers? That's mm -hmm, kind of what mm -hmm. it feels like. And now we're at the moment where it's like taking over the, taking over the, um, the, the building and it's um you know the problem the problem with it is that now it's 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 these kids were then in their houses away from other things that would have maybe distracted them from it or getting joy or any of those types of things they were locked in their house forever for a year mm-hmm. uh seemingly forever um and they lost so a lot of people who maybe they played sports or they played in the neighborhood with friends or they had extracurriculars that they really enjoyed now all of a sudden they can't really do those to the same capacity and with social media dovetailing sort of there is like hey here's the solution to your problems to you know the amount of times that i heard parents say like well i'll let them play more video games or i'll let them be on social media more because it's like that's how they're socializing now mm-hmm. and it's not really i mean it is socializing to a certain extent and this is probably a whole other a whole other episode to talk about how social media is like your digital identity is Mm -hmm. going to be as valued as like your physical one. Seemingly, it seems like it's scarily going down that road. Mm -hmm. Um, But you had a lot of people removed from everything and were stuck in their house and they were forced to be confronted with all the stuff that was probably that undercurrent symptoms of stress or anxiety or depression or all these different things that they were probably either slightly aware of or not, but were sort of like managing because they were leaving their house. They were walking around. They were distracted. They were interacting with friends. They were doing all these different things. And then all of a sudden that just stopped altogether, cold turkey, and there was nowhere else to go. And so then they went to social media um, to stay connected with people. And I think that presented an enormous problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you know, I'm not as familiar with it, but I know enough about it. The stuff that was going on with Facebook and the whistleblower, I mean, they were specifically targeting adolescent girls. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was, that's yep. like a proven now fact. It's no longer, you know, we kind of have always known that they were doing stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Now we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so it doesn't surprise me, un- unfortunately, that the, that the rates are up that much for, for adolescent girls because they were targeted specifically through Was that Facebook media. and Instagram or just Facebook or... I, I believe I mean, Facebook it was, owns Instagram. Yeah, so I I'm believe sure it's, it's like, all the yeah. same. It's all okay. the same stuff. Okay. Um, same monster. Um, so, and I mean, they were specifically designed for that. And we'll get into. I'll, I'll get into some like tips and tricks and some stuff that I've used with people specific to social media um, and how to like manage those platforms rather than just like it's the devil and cold turkey and don't go on it because that's not necessarily realistic but there are ways that you can sort of manage it but i would say that that's the biggest one and i i've talked about this before i work with a lot of athletes and that was their biggest loss it was like almost like a loss of a loved one Mm -hmm. like they couldn't play anymore and then they're stuck in their house you know they're managing their depression or anxiety through being able to play a sport and then that's gone and it was just a you know a perfect storm for a lot of these kids yeah for sure i mean i'm I'm gonna touch get back i'll circle back to a couple of points you made but one i just want to stick on right now is the as you're talking about it what what point if at all do we look at facebook like we look at the sackler family when it comes to opioids uh you know opiates yeah opioids opiates right like at what point getting close right you know because it's like we look at the the opioid epidemic and and what was caused with you know obviously the shady stuff that was going on with that family and purdue pharma and all the things where you know, they were clearly, they knew it was addictive and they were getting people hooked and it's led to this massive issue and lots of death. At what point do we look at Facebook? Like, you know, if suicidality is up 51%, I mean, those are pretty staggering numbers. It's hard to draw a direct line and blame them, but you know, there's enough there to be like, what the hell, you know, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, I don't know that it's ever going to get that far, but um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I I think it's a, it's hard, right? Because they'll always say, like, you know, we didn't force them to go on, and they'll mm-hmm. they'll they'll blame everybody else besides besides themselves. Yeah. But the stats don't lie. Direct yeah. correlation between prolonged exposure to Facebook and, and increased symptoms of depression, and mm-hmm. then depression un- untreated can lead to suicidality. And we have all the information now, so it's hard not to mm-hmm. be able to see that type of stuff. And um, yeah, the 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 parallels are pretty are pretty are pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about digital identity and, and we've had discussions back and forth more recently about the concept of web three and, you know, uh, blockchain and where things are going to go in terms of there being a tipping point. I mean, uh, Facebook even changing its name to meta and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all this talk about the metaverse and how, uh, we're already at that point. Possibly. I think we're already past that point where people's online certain generations so far, I think the older generations are kind of stuck in the old ways, but younger generations online personality or online identity is, probably equally if not i would say more important already than their in real life personalities mm-hmm. right so we talked about digital identity versus irl in real life um i think that is what scares me the most because it's like it's hard enough to have your in real life identity and manage that right let alone having a digital one that's probably different than your real one right and that you have to feel i think what what really burns a lot of young kids out especially or people in general is the need to have to upkeep that, right? There's a status thing that mm-hmm. always, it's like grow or die. It's almost like your own business, right? We talk about athletes as brands. We talk about that a lot. It's almost like young people feel the need to brand themselves online and have that going. And there's only one direction you can go in before you start to get demoralized. If your follower count, your likes, all that stuff is going downward, 
what is that going to do to the psyche of a young person? It's nothing good, mm-hmm. right? So there's this, and even if it's going up, the, the endless chase to keep it going up, it has to be draining for someone that young. I can't imagine, you know, I'm 38. I can't imagine having to deal with that um, when I was younger, no. whether it's the upkeep of that or um, just the reality of being able to see when you're not included, right? We t- you heard about Snap Maps and the, on Snapchat yeah. and like yeah. when you can see when, look, friends who are best friends don't hang out all the time. That actually doesn't mean anything. Right. But when it's shoved in your face and you ha- you're you young and immature and you don't have a secure sense of self, mm-hmm. which we're actually going to get into the next episode. We're going to talk about confidence and, and you know, yep. I like to think of being, ha- having a secure sense of self as a better way of saying confidence, but we'll get into that. When you don't have that when you're young, because who does before they're like 25 typically, let alone right. like definitely not before 18, and you see a map of all your friends kind of hanging or some of your friends hanging out and you were invited what are you going to think? I mean, like that, we're, they're just shoving things in people's faces that they're yep. just not equipped to handle. And it's really not fair. And a lot of it doesn't mean anything, but the imagination takes over and it's going to go that direction. So yeah. that's, I agree with you that digital identity versus in real life identity. It's just not, it's not healthy to expect young people to balance both those, let alone one. And we've talked about how, when you get to a place of security or confidence, what really happens is your obsession with yourself or self-development kind of goes to the wayside and you start focusing on how to help other people and that actually, you know, enlightens your life and, and uplifts your life and your happiness a lot more, ironically. Like, yeah. the more you get away from trying to fixate on self. Is there a little bit of self-development that needs to happen to get to a secure place? Absolutely. Sure. But most people fail to realize when they get there that, that the next step is actually to go try to help other people and focus less on yourself. Right. So, if we're focusing on two versions of ourself, that's going in the wrong direction from where people need to be to be healthy. Yeah, it just feeds into the – I mean, I remember when I was – like, if I'm my, you know tw- – years and, and like being wildly insecure about myself and like it was hard enough without mm-hmm. this stuff to mm-hmm. like try to present like I was perfect and everything was perfect like everything was yeah. going well let alone try to do it in two different places at the same time mm-hmm. and it's impossible yeah. and it puts and it puts an enormous amount of worth in the wrong things and I know we're going to get into confidence in the next one too but it's just self-defeating and we now have and again not trying to put all the blame onto social media we're also talking trauma, loss, tons of death, like that type of stuff, obviously contributing to, to the to the mm-hmm. spike in mental health uh, crisis for kids as well, like just the sheer amount of death that we've been surrounded by mm-hmm. too. So like not just only putting it on social media, but we're seeing the data now of leaning on social media as a place to like socialize and to stay connected. We're seeing that where we have the actual research backed yep. data to prove why it's not an effective way to feel connected or to stay connected. That was what the, that was the that was the big lie that we were told by Trojan by horse. those things. Yep. Absolutely. Like you'll get to stay connected. You'll talk to friends that you haven't talked to in years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, there's probably a reason I haven't talked to this person in 15 years. It's because I probably don't want to talk to this person in 15, <laughs> yeah. 15 you know. Yeah. And so it's it's that's that was sort of the the big lie. Mm-hmm. Great, perfect example, like the Trojan horse that got us hooked into it. And then yep. it's just like systematically disseminated connections amongst people. It's been terrible. Absolutely. And you just you just touched on how, you know, obviously we're going to look at other causes besides social media, social media being the biggest one, and social media and COVID, I would say, are the biggest ones. <laughs> but you talked about, you gave that um, analogy of Ghostbusters 2 with the pink goo sort of like yeah. building underneath. Um, shout out to the people from that generation. I think <laughs> anyone who's under we're, we're dating is probably like, what time. the hell is this dude talking about? But yeah. I get you. And yeah. some of our listeners uh, will definitely get that. But when that pink goo is underlying its building and you don't see it building, I think that's a great metaphor for kind of mental health in general. Yeah. But definitely this issue. And so let's talk about like social media. Like the, I think of like when I think of causes of like what is the, d- driving this youth mental health ep- epidemic, I think short term, medium term and long term in the past. Right. Mm-hmm. So short term in the past is COVID. Right. That's the last two years. 
medium term is social media because that really started to turn, I would say, you know, I mean, Facebook came out around 2004, but it was kind of like 2010 when that stuff started Picked to up. really start to turn. And probably 2014 when you started to see bad numbers kick in mm-hmm. with regard to uh, suicidality and uh, young female uh, young females as well when, mm-hmm. when it comes to their mental health. So that's like medium term in the past, social media. But then we get into some other stuff that goes even farther back. You know, I think I think we've discussed this in one episode, but I think about just the gradual declining like level of resilience and independence in our youth. And that we've talked about really started probably in the, I would say, early 80s to uh, late 80s, early 90s, I would say, maybe is when it started. Definitely got worse in the mid 90s to, to late 90s. And that there's a book about this called The Coddling of the American Mind. Have you read this? No, okay. I've heard of it, though. It's by Jonathan Haidt. And he also wrote a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. He's got some really cool books. So The Coddling of the American Mind kind of goes into, this is painting with a broad brush, but it kind of goes into how... Gradually, from the from the I would say mid late '80s and, and getting worse into the late '90s and early 2000s and, and up to today, uh, parents more and more started to get really freaked out by you know news news media reports about abductions and and uh, you know um, you know abuse and things like that from strangers and things like you know if if I let my kid out mm-hmm. to go roam the town and, and just be independent and have fun and connect with his friends, something bad will happen. That sort of you know wary and fear yep. kept going up and up and up. Um, even though if you look at the numbers, it, it was really the numbers were not changing in terms of the incident level of that happening. The awareness of it and the uh, news media uh, coverage of it was going up, right? right? And so that that's what led to parents collectively across the U.S. anyway getting really freaked out. Um, this is also coincides with like less hitchhiking and like the, some of yeah. these things were really good that those happened. But one of the you know how often do we sort of reflect on things where short term in terms of changes and policy and other things probably helps things, but long term, it can form these bad habits that we don't even see happening until it's too late. Again, the example of the pink goo sort of like lying underneath dormant and bubbling up until we yeah. until it's, it's too late. So what happened was more and more over the last, you know, th- three decades, especially parents have given kids less less freedom and less opportunity to have unsupervised playtime, right? Where they have to just be no, no parent, even within visual distance, mm-hmm. right? Uh, overseeing it, just be able to be around and, and hang out with each other and problem solve and that kind of thing. That breeds almost like a an emotional uh, immune system, right? Emotional, psychological uh, immune system so that when you get to other things later on, mental health challenges, transitions in life, adjustment, mm-hmm. loss, conflict you yeah. know how to handle it right? right whereas if you're robbed of that opportunity similar to how if you like rob a, a young kid of the opportunity to like be exposed to germs because you're just dousing them in hand sanitizer mm-hmm. head to toe for their they tend to have more physical issues as they grow up because their immune system i think right because yeah. their immune system didn't develop uh, appropriately because it wasn't exposed to certain things so that is definitely to me some one of the longer term issues i think plays a role is it the biggest thing no i don't mm-hmm. think so but definitely hasn't helped because i think it's led to youth being less equipped to deal with, uh, you know, transitions or uh, conflict or adversity as it comes in the form of COVID and things like that. I would, so that's, we have social media, we have COVID short term in the past uh, and now social media medium term in the past and now, and then we have declining resilience and independence coming in the form of, uh, you know, fewer opportunities to be independent and, and develop that kind of resilience then we have a few other things that I think uh, relate. We have unbalanced lives. We've talked about how mm-hmm. it, this is in the United States, and it's not every single community, but it, a lot of communities, kids are just asked to do too much. Um, you know, they're starting to you know look into colleges in their sophomore year, freshman year, high school. 
Uh, they have to play sports, um, often only one sport, right? We talked about specialization. Yep. And their schedules are packed because they're playing that year round and they have private coaches named this. They're studying for SATs as of their freshman year. Mm. It's just like, you know, they're in Russian math and they're, it's like too many things, right? So, an unbalanced lives, um, a lack of physical activity. So, not enough physical activity or too much of the same physical activity yep. as one thing we've talked about. Um, which can contribute overall to stress levels, but it can also lead uh, more susceptible to injury. You've talked a lot about oh, the burnout, too. burnout, yeah, uh, and the psychological ask. impact of injury. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That stuff matters. And then we have, I would say, mental health care. Right, is still not where it needs to be. So access to care is a huge problem, and quality of care is still a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So as these issues, these mental health issues, are getting worse. There's not enough people for them to go to. We've no. seen this in our work where yeah. it's like we try to keep up by hiring the right people to meet the demand of all these people struggling. Um, and we're trying our best, but it's like if you it's call hard. around, it's hard It's, it's hard, hard for people to find someone that has availability. So yep. that's a problem. We're not going to see a dump of new clinicians into the field probably for like you know, the next few years. Correct. It's like, oh, it's a great time to get into it. Exactly. But then I got to go back to school for three years. Then I got to do two years of it. You know, then yep. it's like we're not going to see the supports until... 2025. Right. Yep. Until it's too late. Correct. There's going to be a boomerang effect where a lot of people which is a good thing, see that they have to get into this field because it's an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and it's an opportunity to help people. To help that's people. like a great combination. Right. Um, <clears throat> but there is, like you said, there's a delay to that. And so what the hell is going to happen in the next four or five years? Because yeah. until we have more people to meet that demand, it's going to be tough. And then the last thing is, I would. this is going to be a little bit controversial. So I want to talk about it a little bit more and see what your thoughts are. But I actually think the increase in mental health awareness has both helped and hurt. And so what I mean by that is like, to me... We've talked a lot about how in therapy, sometimes you have to take a step back before you can take a step forward, mm-hmm. right? When you start to unpack and learn about these things, it can hit you pretty hard. And before you start to feel better, you actually can feel worse often. Oh, I'd say right? most of the time. Okay. Yeah. Physical exercise can be like that too. A lot of people yeah. quit the gym because the f- month of January <laughs> sucks. sucks, right? You're sore all the time. <laughs> yeah. Your body hasn't adapted yet. Yeah. And is that a good thing long term? You're not long-term? seeing gains. You're not doing Correct. It right. Yep. Exactly, right? Yep. So, you, is that a good thing long term? Yes, because it means you're you're taking that first step back. And your body can't handle it, but that's going to help propel you three steps forward physically. Mental health is the same thing. When you get into therapy, particularly as you get older, it's been a longer time since you've actually ever gotten into it and unpacked it. The first... First month, first two months can kind of suck. You know, you're you're uncovering a lot of stuff that's been buried down. So, I think what's happening is there's a collective version of this, I think, in my opinion. This is not based on anything, you know, in data. It's just my opinion that I think as we've reduced the stigma... And started to buy into mental health. I think collectively we're in this phase where, like, we've kind of taken one step back because everyone's now aware of it. But we, but they haven't quite got through that January, the the collective equivalent of January at the gym. We're not quite through that yet, yeah. particularly because COVID right. has also probably extended January into March, and yeah. so it's impossible for people to get through that phase. Mm-hmm. And what I think that's led to is, again, the collective one step back before we take two steps forward. So eventually we're going to take two steps forward, but we're kind of in the step back right now collectively, yeah. which which leads to numbers that look very bad. And then there's also amongst youth, there's also the competition piece we've talked about where mental health has kind of become this badge of honor yeah. that I think people use in their online personality or their online identity as a way to keep building their brand, so to speak. And that is not a good thing. Yeah. Right? It really can't be weaponized in that way or right. used for some other alter, uh, you know, ulterior gain. Yep. It's got to just be an authentic, like, no, this is my mental health and I need to work on it. So, right. Yeah, I, I definitely... Th- a few things, right? First is 100%. There's a lot there. Yeah. For, <laughs> the first one that I want to latch to is I love the January analogy because therapy is literally the exact same thing. And I, 
uh, you know, the amount of times that sometimes you know, you're working with someone in the first couple of weeks, they'd be like, they'll come in and be like, this is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't feel that much better. And it's like, yeah, well, you didn't really know what we needed to talk about until we got in there and started diving in. And it, yeah, it's quite, it can be quite painful as you're addressing things that, especially like you said, later in life that you've been, you know, avoiding either consciously or unconsciously avoiding for a long period mm-hmm. of time. Of course, it's going to be really difficult to bring that stuff up. But I think the, the going to the gym is a perfect analogy because, the same reasons that people quit therapy, the same people, the same reasons that people quit going to the gym. They don't see gains. It's ridiculously hard. It's excruciating. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And your body hasn't adapted to it yet. Just like everything else, therapy takes practice too. And you just have to continue to be consistent and resilient and kind of go from there. And um, what you said about the collective, the collective piece of, I think is, is an interesting point too. Um, I definitely think that we have tendencies to like over calibrate when we're talking about like big, conversations mm-hmm. and i think that i could see that happening for for mental health um like we're over calibrating a little bit mm-hmm. and can you explain what that means yeah i think I, I think we're well one i think we're still stuck in this like you know not addressing the problem in the correct way i think we're trying to like tread water with a few bricks over our heads right now is what it kind of feels like mm-hmm. is we're, we're not we're not really approaching it in the right way Mm -hmm. it's just people in the field know what we're talking about where like you talk to any professional in the field right now we're inundated we're Mm -hmm. we're swamped we're crazy everyone's overbooked everyone's over has too many too many clients right now we're trying to keep up um so that's that's one um and and rather than sort of approaching it from what we've talked about of like we need to the conversation we need to get ahead of the conversation in one end because we need to you know i'm worried about the impact of this influencing how we address mental health in the future Mm -hmm. and i don't see enough people talking about it in the way that i feel like we talk about it which maybe i'm a little bit biased but feel like it's the appropriate way which is talking about like why are we waiting for something why are we waiting for the pink goo Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. to rise Mm -hmm. above the streets why aren't we popping the lid getting down there and clearing stuff out before it gets to that point and so i think the collective tends to be fear-based overreactive in pieces like that. And I, I fear the same. I fear that that will become like, we need to do all these different changes and do all these different things for mental health and it won't be guided in the best mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. or be guided by the people that actually know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Like policies will come into play and all these different things will be influencing the direction of mental health. Mm-hmm. And I am worried that that's yeah. going to not be in the best in the best way. Yeah, no, it's fair concern. Uh, again, we talked in the beginning of this episode about how Sometimes solutions that look good short term end up having Agreed. unintended consequences, and right. some of those you can't plan for, but others you can by having like more in depth dialogue with professionals and people that really have worked in this field and have a finger to the pulse of what's going on. Yeah, and the other thing that you mentioned too, like the um, like the collective too, like it's we're uncovering all this stuff and it's drawing up a lot for people and it's putting on like oh I don't want to do I don't want to have too much of this. So I definitely see that, and then definitely the badge of honor thing. It's you know, when I when I was going through school, it was sleep. Like that was your badge of honor. Like if you didn't get a lot of sleep, it meant that you were like doing more work or you were better. Like if you had less sleep, which we're going like, to talk about know, in the next episode. Like I don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, little teaser for you yep. guys. Uh, but craziness. Um, and then you have people, and then so now it's now it's like, well, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm more depressed. Like, oh, have you done inpatient or have you done programming? No. Oh, I did. Mm-hmm, right. And it's mm-hmm. just like this. It's like great that you feel comfortable talking about your experience i guess but it's being done in a way to like as a competition to put yourself on this hierarchy of 
I never I thought about know. it like that, but it's, you're right. It's the exact same thing as a sleep thing. It's this badge of honor that like we're people for a long time and still to this day. Uh, um, we're going to give an example. Uh, Rick Ross is an example I'm going to give in the next episode about like just talking about sleep, not sleeping as this badge of honor, as this proof of hard work and that kind of thing. And the youth are using mental health like that. Like, yeah. The more inpatient programs you've been to, the more you've struggled, the more you're advanced or tougher. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know what it is. I, I don't yeah. know. I think it's just like a attention grab, maybe. a way to just, cont- you know, I, I think that's part of, you know, when you're, when you're talking about getting into college and it's all about like where you fall on this scale, I feel like that translates to everything and all the conversations that kids are having about like, well, I want to make sure that I'm the top, even if it means that I'm the most depressed or I'm not getting the least, yeah. I'm getting the least amount of sleep or whatever. Yeah. It just, means I've been seems, through the most. Yeah. Right. I've been kind of, through yeah, the, yeah, right. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's a fascinating conversation. I've tried to gain some insight into it with, with clients who have said stuff like that. I'm like, please help me understand, like, are these the kind of conversations that are going on and yeah. why are they, why are, why are they, why are they happening yeah, essentially? Yeah. And no one can really give me like a straight answer yeah, other than yeah. like, oh, it's just kind of like how we talk and things like that. It's yeah. fascinating. It's interesting. So, Solutions wise, I mean, it's hard, right? We talked about how there's organic solutions, there's forced solutions. Forced solutions can might maybe good short term, but can cause long term mm-hmm. implications that we can't see off the bat, or hopefully we can see if we brainstorm together. Um, you know, I think to me, one of the organic solutions I hope happens is that I'm always impressed by how you know youth, younger youth generations, sort of uh, sometimes have this uncanny ability to shift to shift trends to like sort of be fed up with the status quo and just mm-hmm. decide to do things a different way. Sometimes it comes in ways that don't like, you know, have as much of a collective well being impact for health yeah. overall, like fashion music, or, fashion, yeah. stuff like that. Right. The, Other mullet, time, the mullet seems to be coming back, which I'm not a fan of, but I've seen more of it. Or the fanny pack is another yep. perfect example. Right? Yep. It's now yep. cool again. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So things are can be cyclical. Yep. There was an example of like, I forget if it was like the millennial generation or Gen Z or something like that, like started downsizing their house and didn't mm-hmm. want to own a lot of things. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a good, that's an example of like, right. they saw the, you know, McMansion generation in there and with like hoarding, you know, stuff and having multiple storage facilities and whatever. And they're like, all set. I'm going to live <laughs> in a tiny house and yeah. not have much to my name at all in terms right. of owning material possessions. Right. So right. that's an example where I think I'm hoping that younger generations, you know, learn about mental health, listen to podcasts like this where we're talking about it, have productive conversations amongst their peers. Not badge of honor conversations, but productive right. conversations about mental health right. and decide to do things differently. And where that happens, I think, is exactly what you've been touting this. Into. It's prehab stuff. Yeah. They start to say, like, why are we all, you know, trying to brag about negative mental health right. and or waiting too long to deal with stuff? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest about it. Do it for the right reasons and then take steps proactively to keep ourselves in a good place. I think that's going to happen. I don't yeah. know when. Yeah. But I think the younger generation now is going to see what happened during COVID and the generations in front of them and be like, nah, not doing it that way. I think they're intelligent enough. I think they have the, I think they've got the capacity to like really shift the focus of how we see everything, mm-hmm. including mental health from a, well, why aren't we, why are we waiting? Why aren't we just tackling this stuff now so that it, I mean, inevitably it just leads to like self awareness and self actual of like being able to observe yourself from a better place mm-hmm. and a more honest place and then have the tools to be able to address fears and securities, whatever comes up. Yeah. Um, rather than being like, I don't know how to do that, first of all, or if I do, I go into a panic and then don't want to address it at all and then wait for it to not have any control over it and then have to go see somebody for it. Right. Like that's that's the that's old hat. That's yep. that's yep. the old way of doing exactly. things. Exactly. Can't, can't continue to do it that way. No, I agree. And I think 
mutual aid is a concept that I think is going to play a huge role, right? We've talked about more recently, especially how important young uh, groups for young guys are going to be in terms of being able to talk about mental health amongst each other. Mm -hmm. That's still an area where it doesn't happen enough. And I think especially amongst young females, that's going to be important. You know, we, um, we know a group, it's Pam Wilsey and Vanessa Kalanya in out of Newton who run, I think it's called Wilsey Connections. Uh, it's definitely called Wilsey Connections. So they run, um, they do individual work with young, uh, you know, female adolescents and, and into high school and college as well. Um, but they also do groups. And I think that's like such an important thing for, yeah. you know, it's the only thing that's going to counteract all the negative tendencies that's happening on social media um, collectively amongst young yeah. females. Um, and I think males too. I think groups are, are the answer. I think if we start getting them talking in a, uh, a guided way amongst each other about important topics, that's going to be part of the solution. Um, yeah, it was funny. I, I this is going to date myself too, and it made me feel super old. But it was a great thing. I like walked in. I was getting uh, late night and bringing ice cream home uh, for myself and my spouse, and walked into the ice cream place, and it was like maybe five or six like high school students just like talking to one another and talk like one of them was sharing that they had a really hard day and the other one was like they were all like supportive and i was like this is great yeah and i was like How we old? need more of this they were high school age so oh, probably school, like okay. i'd probably peg them around between like 15 16 okay, years okay. old yep. and i was like man this is exactly yeah, what yeah. needs to happen more like yeah. just kids getting together and talking like in person mm-hmm. and having more of those just like real conversations mm-hmm. made me feel a little bit old because I was like, this stuff <laughs> used to happen all the time and it does, feels like it's like the yeah, majority yeah. of those experiences now. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I think one other thing that could help, I feel like youth in general are working less. Um, and I think this might, do you get that vibe too? Yeah. So especially that probably goes hand in hand with, with parents being a little bit too obsessed about college planning and all this stuff. So it's like their schedule is so packed, there is no time for a job. Right. I think that's a huge misstep in terms of not working before you're 18 or 19. Like it's good to have a job at, at 16, 17. Yeah. You know, you're not going to make a lot of money, but that's not the point. Like you develop problem solving skills, right? It's an, it's an example of unsupervised right. stuff that we talked about earlier because your parents aren't going to be on your job site and right. you just have to figure stuff out. <laughs> like if your boss sucks, yeah. how do you deal with it? If right. a coworker is dramatic and there's causing issues for you, how do you problem solve that? If you're managing stress because you're a cashier or something, how do you manage stress? Like it teaches you on the fly how to do things that are really key to mental health and resilience that you can't read out of a book. Right. I'm sorry. Right. And you can't really talk about it in a group either. You just have to go do, do some it. of these things. Yep. Um, and this this relates to like we're going to talk a little bit as we finish this episode up about like the mass job exodus that's happened. I think a lot of people, um, particularly lower, lower uh, paying jobs, and service industry jobs, people are just quitting those jobs. And I don't blame them because no. they're not getting paid enough. No. And they're dealing with, uh, I think, customers overall in the service industry have completely gone off the deep end when it comes to how they treat service sector workers. Um, I don't want to get into why because there, there could be some political undertones. It's just not even worth going there. Um, but it seems like you know COVID might have factored in too. I think people's collective mental health is not a good place. So are they more likely to snap? And sure, probably right. Yep. There's a lot of things going into that, but it's led to people quitting jobs. And so I think uh, people in general have quit service sector jobs. Young people are working less. Um, there's a ref shortage nationwide for youth sports. I uh, kind of want to get your thoughts about that because it, it kind of reflects on a lot of this stuff. Have you read about that at all? Uh, just a little bit, but. Um... That you go ahead. You can give give the synopsis. Well, so basically, like <clears throat> for youth sports in the United States, nationwide, there is a shortage of of people who are willing to ref games. Uh, now that could be about money. I don't think it is. I think I would guess it's about how they're being treated because parents are ha- before the pandemic already were. I'm sure it's just gotten worse. Are ridiculous when it comes to how they how seriously they take things. 
I would guess this this is probably mostly heterosexual male, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dads, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Is that a fair? Seems am, fair. am I going out on a limb with that sure. one? I don't know. No, I think no? that's probably okay, fair. Okay, all right. Yeah. Right? So, overall, parents parents are just berating refs, and so they're quitting. Mm-hmm. And it's led to, like, games having to be canceled because there's no one to ref the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think it, it relates to the sort of mass job exodus, which relates to youth mental health. I think if parents are doing that in a game i can't imagine that helps uh the the overall mental health of the players but mm-hmm. i don't know what do you think yeah as a as a uh player with a passionate father uh playing <laughs> soccer growing up i can understand like you yeah. know he's had a few games where he was at politely asked to leave uh for for yelling um it, it makes total sense yeah. right at some point there's a breaking point of how much you can just take yeah and I think as we've talked about youth mental health or youth like youth sports beforehand too, um, but I think that youth sports has become something different than what it's intended to be. It's intended to be a place that kids come together, have fun, learn some you know personal skills, interpersonal skills, goal setting, how to work together as a collective, have fun and leave, and that's it. It is not that anymore. Yeah, these sports with the introductions of like AAU programs and the club, the club system specifically for. Um, for soccer, it's like everything these kids are doing are geared towards like becoming a professional or helping them get into college. Mm-hmm. Like that's the track. And when I have conversations with coaches, because um, I, I coached for like 10 years and I saw I definitely saw a lot of this as a coach, like parents coming up and telling me like, what do they need to do? Because this coach from such and such a college is telling them that they need this and this mm-hmm. type of stuff. And it was just like, where, what, what is going yeah. on? Um, that they're, they're, they're seeing the same things. Kids are having less fun. They're not being as consistent, right? Cause they have 15 other things that they're doing. So their commitment to being able to be a part of the team they they'll, they'll come like three days a week or they'll come like twice a week rather than every day during the week, which was pretty typical. Yep. I, I would never have considered thinking because I was part of a team to like not go to some practices mm-hmm. or games because I had other commitments. That was the whole point. Mm-hmm. And I had a coach, he had some faults, but one of his things that he was really strong on was commitment. And that if you committed to a team, that was a commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't very lax on like, if you had to do other things or all these different things. And I think that kids are, because you, you mentioned this beforehand are, are overscheduled with like, they have to have a thousand things on their resume by age eight years mm-hmm. old, mm-hmm. um, that you're seeing a lot of this stuff. And then it comes out with parents who are view sports that way. And I'm get again, massive paintbrush i'm not saying that every parent is like this but i definitely think that the majority has switched into this type of mentality where they're now the ref is there to like help their kid Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. get into college somehow as like twisted as that sounds but it's you know if there's not the right call for timmy then dad's gonna be poor timmy man we gotta write a book about timmy (laughs) on all the all the things that go on for him um but, you know, so dad is, you know, or, or, you know, even mom or anyone really like yelling at the ref because, of t- uh, you know, things like the tackle or that was a goal. It wasn't offside or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. And I'm speaking specifically about soccer, but um, it happens in all in all sports. And I feel like we hear stories like if there was wasn't that wasn't even that long ago um, where like a dad went to jail because he killed a guy because he got into a fight with like a with a with a like, what are we what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing that will you know we could we we've talked about youth sports before um but you know if i'm a ref i don't want to be yelled at for 2 hours like you know i don't i don't want i don't want to be doing mm-hmm. that no. i, I want to go in there and have some fun and you know what be a part of a game and you know things like that yeah, i don't want to yeah. be 
having to deal with Timmy's dad yelling at me for two hours, telling me I'm a you know awful person, exactly. And, you know all these things. So it that, it makes sense, and it's 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 really it's too bad. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, Timmy is not a real person. No, we worked with Timmy is our go to name when we're trying to give staff an example of uh you know boy age 15 dealing with ex mental health issues yes. so we can learn and He's train the staff go-to. Timmy is yeah. the name we just used to fill in the blank yes. not a real person not a real person no. okay so yeah. we're not we're not uh, violating any confidentiality yeah. so um i think that's going to wrap it up for today uh well, again we're going to put all we're going to put links uh, in the show notes especially for the surgeon general's uh document we'll put a link in yeah. that um as well as some other helpful links want to thank everyone uh for listening today um, please, as always, just encourage you to subscribe on our YouTube channel and leave some comments. Give us some feedback. We're trying to be a little bit more interactive with people. If you have questions or comments about any of the topics um, or things we've covered today, we'd love to kind of engage uh, with you on that and, and establish a dialogue because I think that's part of the solution. Um, so I want to thank everyone for listening today for this episode of the Grim Drive podcast on youth mental health, specifically the youth mental health epidemic. We'll be back next week to talk about confidence. Yep. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>